Welcome to the podcast for North Decatur Presbyterian Church. We are a Presbyterian USA congregation located in Decatur, Georgia. You can find out more information about the church, our service to the community, and our great education programs for children, youth, and adults at ndpc.org. And you can follow us on Facebook. If you're in the Atlanta area, we hope you'll come and join us in person. That's it. On to this week's scripture and sermon. Today's scripture reading is from the book of Exodus, verses 8 through 22. Now, a new king arose over Egypt who did not know Joseph. He said to his people, Look, the Israelite people are numerous and more powerful than we. Come, let us deal shrewdly with them, or they will increase, and in the event of war, join our enemies and fight against us and escape the land. Therefore they set taskmasters over them to oppress them with forced labor. They built supply cities, Python and Ramesses for Pharaoh. But the more they were oppressed, the more they multiplied and spread. So the Egyptians came to dread the Israelites. The Egyptians became ruthless in imposing tasks over the Israelites and made their lives bitter with hard service in mortar and brick and every kind of field labor. They were ruthless in all the tasks they imposed upon them. And the king of Egypt said to the Hebrew midwives, one of whom was named Shipra and the other Pua, when you act as Hebrew as midwives for the Hebrew women and see them on the birth stool, if it is a boy, kill him. But if it is a girl, she shall live. But the midwives feared God, and they did not do as the king of Egypt commanded them, but they let the boys live. So the king of Egypt summoned the midwives and said to them, Why have you done this? Why have you allowed the boys to live? And the midwives said to Pharaoh, Because the Hebrew women are not like Egyptian women, for they are vigorous and give birth before the midwife comes to them. So God dealt well with the midwives, and the people multiplied and became very strong. And because the midwives feared God, God gave them families. And Pharaoh commanded his people, every boy that is born to the Hebrews, you shall throw into the Nile, but you shall let every girl live. The word of God for the people of God. I wanted to start by just saying thanks for having me here today. It's a a new experience to be on this side up here. So this sermon series that we've been having is about something in the Bible that surprises me. And today we're talking about a Bible story that might be a surprise to you. It was definitely a surprise to me the first time I really sat down and read it. In fact, I think it just might be the best Bible story that you've never heard of. 
It's a story of Shipra and Pua, of their faith, of their belief, of their abject defiance of injustice, all within a story that is too often overlooked. In fact, in doing a little bit of reading to prepare for today, I pulled out a whole bunch of books on the book of Exodus, all of which were about that thick, uh, most of which skip right over this story. The anticipation of getting to chapter 2, verse 1, the birth of Moses, or chapter 2, verse 23, which is the big theological moment of significance, when the Israelites cry out in their misery and God sees the misery of their slavery is just too much of a temptation. But surprise, there's a fantastic story here, and I'm grateful to have the chance to share it with you today. First, a little bit of context about the scripture by way of an embarrassing story about me. I met my husband when we were both students at Columbia Theological Seminary, just here in Decatur. And one of the times that we got to know each other better was while studying for what's called the Bible Content Exam. This is an exam given to every Presbyterian seminarian that asks the student to identify some significant, but also some really obscure quotes from the Bible. For example, who said, I will give you the vineyard of Naboth the Jezreelite? If you don't know, it was Jezebel to Ahab in 1 Kings. Or who said, or excuse me, who went away from the presence of the Lord and settled in the land of Nod? That one was Cain and Genesis. It's a really hard test. And so I was studying really diligently for the exam when I came across a quote that I could not identify. Who said, you meant this for evil, but God meant this for good? Well, I didn't know. So I asked Jonathan, who of course knew right away. Joseph. Joseph, are you sure? Yes. You're sure, you're sure. Yeah, it's Joseph. Okay, well, I just don't really remember him saying anything like that to Mary. It seems incredibly insensitive. At which point, grinning, he informed me that the quote is actually from the other Joseph, the one in Genesis, the one whose brothers were jealous of his coat of many colors and sold him into slavery in Egypt the one who would rise to become the second most powerful person in Egypt, saving Egypt and most of the known world from famine. Ah, I said, it does make more sense that it would be that Joseph. But it gives us a little clue as to the mindset of the narrator of today's scripture and their utter disbelief that there could be a pharaoh who did not know Joseph. Joseph, in all his deeds, had been forgotten. And not only does the Pharaoh not know Joseph, Joseph's people, or Joseph's God, he doesn't really want to know them. He sees only that Joseph's Israelite people are too many, and they threaten his control over his country. 
And so the Pharaoh responds by controlling the Israelite people with taskmasters and forced labor. The narrator doesn't waste any time telling us the details of how the Israelites became slaves in the nation that they saved, just that this apathetic and ignorant Pharaoh doesn't know and doesn't care. The text goes on to say the Egyptians dealt shrewdly with the Israelites, forcing them into hard labor in building supply cities for Pharaoh. But in an ironic reversal to Pharaoh's plan, even as their burdens increased, the Israelite numbers increased. But so in turn did the determination of their oppressors. The narrative explains that the Egyptians upped their game. The text describes that the Egyptians made the Israelites' lives bitter with hard labor in brick and mortar and with all kinds of work in the fields. In all their labor, the Egyptians used them ruthlessly. Now the language here is strong and it's meant to be so. It's meant to be a little bit disturbing, but it's worth saying that some scholars go as far as to argue that the translation here is still too soft and that a better translation of verse 13 is that the Egyptians made the Israelites work to the point of collapse. And here, in the midst of all this abuse and exploitation, this pharaoh goes even further. He calls in two Hebrew midwives and instructs them to allow the newborn female Israelite babies that they deliver to live but that all newborn males must be killed. It seems that things have gone from bad when a pharaoh who did not know Joseph saw the Hebrews as a threat to worse when he asks the Hebrew midwives to commit genocide against their own people in order to control their numbers. But here, just when the story seems so dark, God provides the unlikeliest of heroines. Shipra and Pua, two women with funny little names. The text doesn't really give us too many details about them. We're told that they were women, that they were midwives, and we can determine that since they were Israelites, they were also slaves. But other than that, on the surface of the scripture, we know very little. But with a little bit of digging, maybe we can learn more. Some scholars see this conversation as happening face to face and offer the fact that the Pharaoh of Egypt spoke in person to Shipra and Pua as a suggestion that they were most likely senior adults and leaders. This is based on two presumptions, that the Pharaoh of Egypt doesn't speak to just anyone and that a booming population could not be serviced by only two midwives. The deduction is that Pharaoh would have only spoken to these two women himself if they were seen as the recognized leaders of their profession and their community and could pass on Pharaoh's orders to others. Another clue that we are given to who Shipra and Pua are are their names. Their names 
like most Hebrew names, have significant meaning. Shipra is understood to mean to be beautiful, and pua, a fragrant blossom. But in addition to the meaning of their names, the fact that they were named at all is worth talking about. If we, for a moment, discount the naming of Joseph's 12 brothers in the beginning of the book of Exodus and the genealogy given in chapter 6, Shipra and Pua are two of only seven people who are actually named in the first half of Exodus. That is to say, for the entirety of the Israelite flight from Egypt, from chapter 1, verse 8, until the Israelites have crossed the Red Sea, Shipra and Pua account for two of only seven people whose names have been deemed significant enough to record. We are, of course, introduced to other memorable people, including Moses' sister, his mother, the Pharaoh's daughter, but they are introduced in that narrative manner, in terms of their relationship to the male authority in their family. They do not, at this point in the story, have names. And finally, we must also pause to realize that while Shipra and Pua are named, the Pharaoh in this story is not. The word Pharaoh is the modern day equivalent to a title such as king or general or captain. And although we may sometimes use the word Pharaoh as if it were a name, the word in ancient Israel was a title, not a name. The Pharaoh in this story remains nameless. And what's so important about a name? Well, let me ask you this. Do you know your first grade teacher's name? What about your second grade teacher? What about your favorite teacher that opened up the world to you? Or that coach that just made everything fun? Or what about that one person who saw something wonderful in you that you didn't even see in yourself? I bet you remember their name. What's in a name? Well, a lot. Names are incredibly symbolic and meaningful. And we remember the names of those who have shaped us. We name our children after those who have touched our lives. Names give weight, identity, personhood, belonging, meaning. So just what is it about Shipra and Pua's names that make them worth remembering? Well, if we might for a moment step into their shoes, I think it is their demonstration of their incredible trust in God. When we see these women for who they were, they had every right to be terrified of Pharaoh and quite literally everything up to and including their very lives to lose. But they trusted in their God to save themselves and God's promised people. What the text actually tells us is that the midwives feared God. 
And this can be confusing to our modern ears at times. But the use of the word feared is the same as we might use the words awe or respect. Shipra and Pua's awe, respect, and trust in God enabled them to face the Pharaoh of Egypt without being afraid. The story tells us simply and gracefully that Shipra and Pua feared God and did not do what the king of Egypt told them to do. They let the boys live. But the story continues, and the women are called back to Pharaoh to answer for what they have done. And what I find amazing here is they offer what might be the world's lamest excuse. The Hebrew women are not like Egyptian women. They're vigorous and give birth before the midwives arrive. It's not my fault. There's nothing I could do. Well, surely so international and sophisticated a figure as Pharaoh wouldn't, wouldn't buy such a ridiculous excuse, right? But that's just it. He does. Pharaoh has no response. Shipra and Pua have silenced this mighty king. We are told that God remembered Shipra and Pua's faith that God dealt well with the midwives, and that the blessings of their families spilled over to the whole of the Hebrew people. And so, in yet another ironic reversal of Pharaoh's plan to eliminate the Israelites, it has resulted in their increase and their strengthening, all because two Hebrew midwife female slaves refused to listen to the truth of Pharaoh and chose instead to listen to God's truth. But Pharaoh, he has one more card to play. Thwarted by two lowly women, this powerful king makes one last declaration. Every boy that is born to the Hebrews, you must throw it into the Nile, but you shall let the girls live. And although we must acknowledge that this chapter ends on an ominous note, we cannot help but at least remember that from these same waters, from the very river that Pharaoh commands the Israelite boys be thrown into, would come a baby in a basket, drawn out by Pharaoh's own daughter, who would lead his people to freedom. And so, What are we to take from all this? It's an incredible story. What what is the lesson for us in this day and age? Well, while I appreciate you sitting there listening to me bumble through trying to say what I think it means, perhaps we might also look to a man whose story has all too many parallels to the story of Shipra and Pua, and whose people understand Shipra and Pua's pain. In 1994, after decades of imprisonment, Nelson Mandela left a small prison cell to be inaugurated as the president of South Africa. And in his inaugural address, he read these words. Our deepest fear is not that we are inadequate. 
Our deepest fear is that we are powerful beyond measure. It is our light, not our darkness, that most frightens us. We ask ourselves, who am I to be brilliant, gorgeous, talented, or fabulous? When actually, who are you not to be? You are a child of God. And your playing small doesn't serve the world. There's nothing enlightened about shrinking so that other people, even pharaohs, won't feel insecure around you. We are born to make manifest the glory of God that is within us. And it's not just in some of us, it's in every one. The lesson is that it is the refusal of these women to participate in Pharaoh's oppression that is the beginning of Israel's liberation from the bondage of Egypt. In this small, overlooked story, we find a message that each and every one of us is God's miracle, and that I, we, you, us, Together, God is calling us to live out the glory of God that is already manifest within us. Amen.